Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie. Low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports Podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Curry. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Reg. How are you? Oh, never better. Absolutely. Sun splitting the stones here. It's yeah. uh, predicted to be a gorgeous weekend and uh, weather's certainly been good so far. So great form. How are things with you? Yeah, great, thanks. I'm in, uh, I'm in Wales at the moment. The sun is uh, splitting the skies as well. It's absolutely beautiful here. I had a beautiful couple of days in Adair Manor, would you believe it? I saw you, yeah, you were jet-setting. My invite got lost somewhere, Ken. I don't know, like, a caddy. I would have been happy to do a caddy for you, you know? I this Dublin talking sport. I don't know whether you got it or not. Yeah. Maybe Joe Harry could got it. Yeah, Joe got it, and he was hiding in the bushes down there with you, watching things that were going on. Looked great. You met some superstars. Yeah, it was an amazing place. I mean, it's in absolute pristine condition. I think the Ryder Cup there is going to be very, very special in it in a few years' time, 2027. But what he's done to the course and the hotel and the clubhouse is just uh, quite incredible, Reg. Beautiful place. Yeah, there were some great stars there. Shooter McGavin was there from the old um, Happy Gilmore movie. Uh, it was nice to meet him. I got a picture with him and had I a saw little that. chat about movies. What a, uh, what, a, what a great character. But there was a host of footballers, Irish footballers, English footballers, uh, entertainment. And they raised an awful lot of money for charity as well, which is great. You know, the Rainbow Club, um, and a couple of other great charities as well. Uh, the one was sudden death syndrome, which uh, young quick uh, died from uh, Tipperary, young Tipperary, or that was a tragic story, of course. Mm. Uh, and uh, so that, there's a lot of money raised for that charity as well, which is fantastic. You know? Absolutely brilliant. And um, who did you play with? Uh, who did I play with? Uh, three lads from Tipperary on the, on the first day. Lovely. And then um, played with a lad. Uh, Mason Cope, a scratch handicap there uh, on the second day, and um, a couple of lovely lads from Ireland as well. So, very great good. couple of days. Uh, there weren't any pros in it, pro golfers. Okay. It's just more of a, uh, people from different sort of walks of, of life. life. No, no pros, yeah. Excellent stuff. Yeah, no, it's uh, beautiful down there. I haven't had the pleasure of playing it yet. It's on the list for this year. So, um, yeah. certainly looking forward okay, to getting it. down there. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it looks incredible, no doubt about it. Mm. Um, you must have been disappointed with Lancer, were you, last week? I was, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, there's been a lot of uh, analysis of, uh, of it going on all week, <laughs> blaming for this and that and the other. There was no blame in my mind. It was... Uh, very solid start to the game. They played very, very well. They, you know, they looked in control. And then the second half, a different team came out and they just decided they didn't want the ball and just kept kicking it away. It was the strangest, uh, strangest second half performance I think you could ever imagine. Played right into the hands of La Rochelle, I felt, you know, just giving away possession the whole time. I mean, huge credit to La Rochelle. I thought they, they, they managed things well. They didn't 
didn't let their heads drop when they went 17 nil down and uh, they yeah. just kept they just hung on in there um, and uh, you know it, it was a great performance by them but I, I was disappointed with the way Leinster yeah, performed yeah, they're they're just just... the end of the season as well for Leinster very as well to Munster as well the week before yeah exactly I mean there you go like I mean you go from three weeks ago where they were on cloud nine everything was looking yeah. like a, a, a double possibly um, all all fingers were pointing towards that and then you end up the season with nothing and it's it's kind of you're a bit shell-shocked to be honest with you you know on Sunday when you're kind of waking up scratching your head going how did we come out of that season with absolutely nothing to show for it you know um, and and I think they've only themselves to blame I think they'll hold their hands up on that I think in the semi-final yeah. they made mistakes and in the final itself then you know things just didn't pan out and just the one point um, the week before against Munster and again Against La Rochelle, so it's uh, that's that's it. Yeah. Fine margins, you know, fine, yeah, very, very fine margins in every sport. Very fine margins. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, look, it's a great day for Munster. They're going down to the Stormers. They haven't had a trophy in eleven years, and the Stormers. I, I love. There's a there's a kind of a subplot to this. I'll be talking to Will Slattery about rugby, but I love the fact that there's videos going online of the Stormers dancing around, uh, delighted that they weren't getting Leinster and that they didn't have to come to Dublin, oh. and then. That's the fuel for Munster now. They're going down. Apparently, there's five thousand fans going down with them. Oh, it'll be great. It's going yeah, to be a cracking match. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. What, what about the other code? Your your heart uh, is with United, and it turned yeah. out to be a pretty good season in the end. Yeah, very good. I mean, they're up the tour. They're in the final of the FA Cup. Winners of the Carabao Cup, I suppose. The big test will be against City next weekend. Of course, next Saturday in Wembley. Uh, that's going to be a really big city are absolutely flying you know final of the Champions League they're already back the, the Premiership and they could do the treble and they could do the treble against United and if you have all those United and City fans coming down it'll, there's a rail strike as well over in the UK on the Saturday yeah. believe it or not you know which is going to cause chaos for all those fans although you probably say most of the United fans are around London and anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah they'll, or they'll fly in from yeah, here it's going to be uh, chaos that weekend but that will be the real test and it'd be nice to finish off the season it was a good win for them during the week against Chelsea they did Chelsea well had plenty of chances but they, I thought you know Casemiro was you know just outstanding as well what a what a wonderful acquisition I he was just going to say that to you I mean he stood out really yeah. really stood out uh, incredible and you kind of just say to yourself with the likes of him coming in now wouldn't take a whole lot more in, the, in, ter- in terms of some signings to push them right yeah. back up there again no, I think if they got Kane, I think Kane would be a big target. If they got him for a couple of years, that would make a huge difference. They could do with another defender. Probably Harry Maguire would probably be on the way out this summer. Uh, and they could do with a really good central defender. Uh, Varane is sort of getting on. But they have Martinez there. Uh, probably a couple of defenders be, and maybe another midfielder. They're mm-hmm. looking at maybe Madison. They're looking at Mount as well. Yeah. Uh, so you don't know, but... Yeah, but I think uh, the main priority for United would be a centre-forward this year, you know. Yeah. But as I said, the real asset test will be against City uh, next uh, Saturday in the cup final in Wembley. Mm, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's funny with the City, you know, everyone's celebrating and rightly so, they won the Premiership. But there is that little question mark hanging over of 115 charges against them for... for yeah, uh, yeah, which yeah. is a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, very odd, yeah. I mean... All these Premiership titles, they could be wiped out in the end, like yeah. you now. But 
But it, there's no doubt in uh, their talent and the talent of their manager as well. You know, without doubt, one of the best managers that's, that's ever, ever lived, you know, with his success and the way he's played football and the teams that he has uh, congregated together. Mm. Uh, incredible what he's done in the, in the short space of time he's been in England. You know, he's won five premierships out of six now. Uh, but the one that he's missing is the Champions League uh, with Man City and that, that's the one he, he should expect to get against Inter. But, but those charges, you're right, they're still hanging over all of, over financial fair play and uh, they could be they could be hit with, well, you don't know what they're going to be hit with. You don't know how, how strong the FA will be against them. Yeah, that's true. We will have to see what happens there. What about down at the other end? I mean, um, oh, yeah. it's gonna be very exciting. I'd say Everton in the driver's seat that has to be said at home to Bournemouth, but um, yeah. you just don't know. The other two are at home uh, as well. and Yeah, Leicester at home to West Ham, Leeds at home to Tottenham. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be very, very exciting for all the, those three teams. You know, uh, Everton, a draw is not good to Everton. They've got to win because if Leicester win, they've got a better goal difference. Um uh, Whereas Leeds would be hoping that the other two draw and, and they win, or you know, or, or Everton lose and Leeds have to win and Leicester have to lose or draw or whatever. But uh, it's going to be very, very uh, exciting. It always is the last day of the season, you know. And uh, can Sam Allardyce pull off a major kill and try and get Leeds out of it? That would be incredible. Yeah, it would be absolutely incredible. I know it's 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 a mad one down at the bottom. I mean, mm. Everton have to take all doubt out of it. I mean, I think. Even if they get a draw, I think with goal difference, don't. Um, what is it? Leicester have to. I think there's three no, goals. Have the a better, yeah, no, Leicester have a better goal difference, I think. They're yeah. minus 18. I think uh, Everton are minus 24 or something like that. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But still, it's still, uh, you know, and Bournemouth have had a good season, really. You know, the way they've, they've played. Forest to stay up as well. Uh, quite incredible. So, um, yeah, you, you just don't know. I think Everton have never been relegated. Yeah, they've never been relegated in their history, which is quite incredible uh, record as well. So, and he's a good manager that they have as well. So yeah. it'd, be, it'd be probably fitting if they stayed up, but you never know. You never, never know. They're trouble you, you though. Look at Leicester, who won the Premiership only yes five, five years ago. Yeah, and. Uh, and they could be getting relegated now. Well, that would be a serious blow. And then, of course, there'd be an exit as the players and different things happening yeah, as yeah. well. Like when, when you get down that road, um, you know the, the knock-on effects for a club are, can be devastating. Yeah, they can be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're but I think they've got plenty of money. They've got an owner who's very, very wealthy, the King Power, mm. duty free. Um, so they should come back up. You know. Yeah, but like, look at Chelsea. Money doesn't mean a lot when you're. You know, if you're not performing, what did they spend? Six hundred and ninety million or something? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, it's it is incredible. It's absolutely mm. incredible. You think with all that kind of money, you'd have to be have a semi decent team, and you just look at Chelsea during the week. They weren't even now. In fairness, they did miss three or four chances that they should have buried. Uh, you know, they should have scored first against United. Yeah. during the week and I know you should have could have would have but I mean like <laughs> it, it, it was it was a case of them missing opportunities but with all that money to be such a poor team it's it's mad yeah well they're playing they're playing like a team right? so I've not to play for it you know and mm. uh, there'll be a big job for Pochettino when he comes in mm. uh, at the start of the new season but I'm sure he'll do a great job you know they've got some great players there yeah. they just need you know, someone's steering the ship, and uh, Chelsea, I'm sure, will be back next season, and um, they'll be they'll be one to look out for, I'm sure. Very welcome to the show, Nina Carberry. Good morning, Nina. 
Thank you, Reggie. Yeah, I've just saying five years, it probably seems to have gone by in a flash. Yeah, it's mad how, how time flies. Um, yeah, two kids now, and uh, it's amazing how quick it goes, actually. It, it does. It goes by very fast. And But I'm sure uh, the children are keeping, keeping you well occupied. Are you still involved um, on a day-to-day basis, maybe riding out or helping with training? Yeah, I um, we try and buy and sell horses, so that's kind of my business now, and kind of produce horses from a young age and sell them on then, and hopefully they'll go on and do better things. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I suppose even in the five years since you've retired, um, the sport seems to be moving on all the time, and, you know... Katie and yourself were kind of the pioneers uh, in the early days uh, for the women. But Rachel Blackmore has just gone on to superstar status at this stage. Uh, What have you thought of her progress? Yeah, it's brought it to a different level and uh, it's brought it to another side of the professional side. We were only amateurs, so she's literally gone to the next level, won all the best races she could win. And it's what everyone jockey tries to do when when they turn professional is trying to win the Grand National the Gold Cup the Champion Hurdle that's exactly what she done and it's amazing for our sport and she's a brilliant uh, ambassador and role model for everybody not just for women Absolutely, exactly. Uh, not just for women, but I suppose the the point is, though, uh, when when young girls who are interested in horse racing see the likes of yourself and Katie, Rachel, many others uh, doing so well, and and th- that there is an opportunity for them to get into the sport and perform well, it, it can be inspirational. Yeah, unbelievable! It's a brilliant sport. If you have the skill, uh, you're definitely you're 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 definitely used and your you can show your skills we've got ladies races as well that really helps to show like what what type of skills we have and it gives us the opportunity to ride for those good trainers and owners and once you're given the opportunity i think if you have the skill you're definitely allowed to use it and show what you have and it's a, it's a brilliant sport that we're probably the only sport that can i suppose compete against male at a level that's you know it's all equal mm. Mm, absolutely. And, and and are you seeing much of an increase in, in girls taking part in it? Oh, there is. I think this year in race, there was a 50-50, um, there was 50-50 between women and and, and lads doing the, the course. So that's brilliant because before it was literally, I think, 20-80. So it's great now that we're half and half and uh, there's definitely more girls taking part. Hmm. I, I suppose I have to quickly touch on the, the the point about the sport itself. Coming under a little bit of pressure recently, the protests at the Grand National. I see the Jockey Club were granted an injunction uh, preventing protests for the Bedford Derby at Epsom next weekend as well. Kind of difficult times in many ways with protests going on. Um, how, how do you see that unfolding? Yeah, it's sad to see, to be honest. Um, I think that just... It, it, we we would love for them to come and see how horses are looked after. I think they are they're targeting these big races to obviously get publicity and stuff. They're not coming to see how how well the horses are looked after. It's our sport. We're very proud of it. Uh, we're doing everything we can, you know, mm. with welfare. But um, I feel that they're not giving our sport a chance, and they're not coming to see the yards and where it's all starting off and how well the horses are looked after. Obviously, these things can happen. Horses can get killed. We're not saying they don't, but um, it's 
definitely something that they need to come on our side and see how we all work. But um, yeah, they are targeting obviously the big race to get their publicity across. But um, it's sad to see, to be honest. But hopefully we can come to some type of agreement with them. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, hopefully they can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a fair point. Obviously, it didn't help when you had the Fatality Hill 16 in the in the Grand National, but at the same time, I saw all of the debate afterwards and there was a very real question asked, well, what are you going to do with the 50,000 thoroughbreds that are sitting out there? Where are they going to go? How are they going to be cared for? So it is something that they probably just need to work hand in hand with and try and come to a, an amicable solution on. Exactly, yeah. Like, as, as you said, like, what are they going to do? These horses are bred to race and they've been bred to race for hundreds of years you know so what are you going to do with all these poor horses you mm. know are they all going to be put down is that what they want so it's one of those things that they are have to going to have come to discussions and I'm sure hopefully that will happen hopefully that will happen okay uh, a bit of dancing still going on these days or have you given up entirely <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't put them back on for a long time but I actually do miss uh, I miss the training end of it the fitness end of it and the adrenaline buzz I got out of it yeah but uh, yeah, it's something that I, I loved watching this year as well. I had a bit more, um, I don't know, I, I, I just love watching it and kind of seeing who who's going to progress and what, and, and all that. But it was it was great to, to watch it this year and kind of have a big insight um, side into it as well. You stole a lot of hearts, I have to say, when, when you performed and won it, of course. Um, uh, were you surprised at how well you did? Yes. Most definitely, when I started off, I was so bad. So to actually go and win is from to improve week by week, and then to get like I suppose my industry was brilliant to get behind me as well, and so that drove me on again. And every week it was just amazing, and uh, like it's an amazing show because it's so surreal. It's all live, so. There's no no replay, so you have to get it right on the night. But uh, it's a great adrenaline buzz for me that that was, and it was kind of something that brought back the racing instinct in me again. I think it was lovely to to be a part of that. Time for rugby now, and delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Will Slattery. Good morning, Will. How are you? Good, thanks, Reggie. How are you? Oh, I have been better. Last week was tough to take, but um, I have to take it on the chin and realise that we have only ourselves to blame for it. I don't want to go on too long about the Leinster game, but we have to recap on it a little bit. Um, it's been analysed a lot during the week. What were your own thoughts on it? I think it's the worst defeat Leinster have ever suffered in terms of both the stakes that were there, how the game unfolded. Like I know you played in that game against Perpignan. I think you played against Munster at Lansdowne Road. They were two kind of horror shows from a Leinster perspective that fans would always look back on with a lot of regret. But God, to to have a 17-0 lead, to have a 16-point lead coming up to half-time and to kind of watch the team slowly go into their shells over time and and look nervous and look panicked and, and look, gassed as well there was the two things that jumped out to me was was the nerves that I thought manifested itself in the second half with the errors all those sliced kicks and poor exits and just how for the third year in a row against La Rochelle Leinster massively wilted in the second half I think they've been outscored 50 points to 22 across the three second halves and they've been outscored 35-10 in the final quarter across the three games which we don't associate Leinster as a team that flags or has any fitness issues. In fact, we herald the Irish players' fitness in terms of how they can execute their game plan. But whatever La Rochelle have been able to do with their physicality, their athleticism, their staying power in games, like that was probably the first time Leinster in, in the blue jersey, those players had been taken 
two and eighty minute games since the final of the previous year, which they got a whole season basically of of maybe swatting teams aside early enough in the game that they don't have to go into that deep reserve of fuel and they didn't have it they came up empty and I thought between that and the mental nervousness of getting close and and letting it slip again it it, it ended up being the perfect storm in terms of what was a a collapse and it'll be a very long time before these players get over that if they ever do even if they go on to achieve a great World Cup when they're in their 60s and 70s they'll be waking up in a cold sweat thinking of the time they blew this massive lead at home in the Champions Cup final. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, you, you the people, listeners might think that's a bit dramatic. It's not because you mentioned the Perpignan game, the Munster game, not so much uh, in, 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 for me in terms of memories because Munster were just better than us on the day and, and beat us. But in the Perpignan game uh, that you mentioned, I still have bad memories about that because, you know, I, I, that was the European Cup chance that I had that went to begging. There's no doubt about it. And these lads will feel the same way. I mean, <clears throat> just watching the game, what I couldn't work out was just the total change in mindset in the second half. Mm. The the, uh, the 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 complete lack of want to move the ball in the second half, kick every single thing that came to them back to the opposition. Now you talked about tiredness and fatigue. Well, for me in that first half, the tiredness and fatigue was all in the legs of the La Rochelle players because Leinster did exactly what they were supposed to do. They moved the ball around, they kept the big men uh, running and, uh, you know, that tires them out. And then the second half, they just went right into uh, La Rochelle's hands and slowed it down and just allowed them to play their power game. Weird. Yeah, it, it, it was a mad statistic that I saw after the game and that no Leinster back threw a pass outside that. of the halfbacks in I the entire that. game. So mm. Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose, Hugo Keane and three key playmakers didn't throw a single pass in the mm. game. That is an absolutely Bizarre. unfathomable statistic. Mm. And it, what, what, what was funny is like, it was only when Leinster obviously went behind that they said to play a little bit of rugby again mm. and they again stressed them. There's a lot of debate about whether they should or shouldn't have gone for a drop goal. But the point was that they were able to make ground. They were, they were hammering away at the line again and where was that kind of endeavour in the second half like to be fair they didn't have much territory because the kicking was just so poor like La Rochelle actually I know they came back and won and it was an unbelievable effort but La Rochelle arguably could have won that game by more like they were camped in the Leinster 22 for about 20 minutes and it only it, they didn't get over the line until like the 72nd or 73rd minute like there was lots of chances there for for them but by dint of that Leinster got a lot of turnovers and some real good scramble defence just couldn't exit and the one that really summed up that conservativeness in the second half was they had a line out and they're in the 10 metre line in the La Rochelle half Doris has a really good carry then they go straight to the air Gibson Park box kicks it Jimmy O'Brien Brian takes out Raymond Rule and La Rochelle are back in the Leinster half again. For me, that was like that really summed it up because that's prime attacking ball for this Leinster team. We know how much they thrive off those kind of areas, and they didn't even think about going to it. That's that's what summed up me the kind of the mental collapse in the second half. Like they had built this up as the be all and end all. They had picked a very weak team against Munster to be right for this game, which heaped even more pressure on it. There was a sense of they cannot lose this game. Mm. And that I 100% think fed into the players in the second half that the prospect, you just need to see the photos of them afterwards. Their heads are in their hands. Like they're like, oh my God, it's happened again. And I just, like, to be fair, they still have a really good squad. They have a new coach coming in. So they're going to be in the top two or three again next year. But, it's, it's going to be a huge mountain. Every year you don't win, that mountain gets tougher to climb. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, just to finish on Leinster, because I want to I talk Munster, but um, just in terms of Ireland, something that a lot of people are, are, are talking about is 
the Sexton factor? Would it have happened if Johnny Sexton was on the pitch? Um, would like Ryan's going off was a big influence, so was Furlong. But but that element of Johnny Sexton steadying the ship and 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 maybe guiding those younger players through it that has a knock on effect to Ireland. We don't know where Johnny Sexton's fitness is. We're hoping he's going to make it. We've got a World Cup to worry about. Um, again, it just seems like both Ireland, Leinster, almost completely reliant on where Sexton fares. Yeah, like there's no doubt when you lose a game like Leinster lost and it's only a point in it, you're obviously going to say the absence of Sexton could have made up for that. The only thing I'll say in mitigation is that like Johnny Sexton started the final in Marseille and in that final period he was just as panicky and rushed mm. he had a big mistake in the build up to the La Rochelle second try to cut it from an 8 point gap to a 1 point gap when he tried to run the ball out from his own line instead of kicking it a similarly terrible exit to what affected them last weekend so I don't think it's a cut and dry thing that if he had played they definitely would have won because I thought he got caught up in a little bit of the kind of the, the panic nature of it next year, their last season but I do agree 100% like the that kind of the Ross Byrne question which we thought had been answered we thought that Ireland were in a really good place now going into the World Cup in that regard all of a sudden that's kind of been reignited a little bit because he didn't offer direction in that second half both in the end game that's been much debated but also with some of his kicks like you know he was standing very deep he, his kicking was poor like even he, his job is to guide the team around the p- pitch to offer that fulcrum like he should be demanding that the ball is that moment I referenced with the line out in the, in the 10 metre line he should be demanding that they play ball off that because that was a time for Leinster's ball carriers he hadn't touched the ball in about 25 minutes mm. to get back into the game so yeah it's it's still a live issue we don't know Johnny Sexton's fitness albeit he said he'll be good to go on day one of pre-season so Again, yeah, it's still going to be a massive debate leading into the World Cup. Absolutely. Well, it'll be intriguing to see what way it all pans out. We're all hoping for the best. Okay, move on to Munster. Their first opportunity in a long, long time to get some silverware. Um, Some might feel, uh, you know, this is an opportunity that they can't afford to miss out on. Not many gave them a chance against Leinster in that semi-final. They proved everybody wrong and got the victory in that one golden opportunity albeit away from home but given the fuel that the Stormers gave them by dancing around and shouting into cameras and exactly the type of stuff that Munster loved to fuel that fire how do you rate their chances today? Oh I think it's it's set up for them to have a real crack at this isn't it they've had a two week lead in as you said Stormers giving them a bit of fuel for the fire you can picture Peter O'Mahony winding them up with that apparently there's a very big Munster contingent going down apparently mm. there could be up to 6,000 supporters making the so trip would be huge like yeah. that would be an unbelievable boost to them they're also getting key guys back Connor Murray Fekatoa Calvin Nash uh, RG Snyman who's been picked on the bench I think about the boost they'll get from him coming on so it is set up for them to have a right crack at this like the Stormers in South Africa are, are very formidable Munster are the only team to beat them I think in the last you know two, two or so years the Stormers are the kind of team that they could blow you off the pitch whenever they play because they are so high octane but they're also very loose like some of those players Manny Lubbock when, when things are going well for him he's cutting you to shreds but we've seen his kicking collapse before in that Munster defeat so there's so many different variables I think it's a great chance for Munster I would actually kind of fancy them today I think if, if they can frustrate the Stormers and that defence of Munsters has been really strong in recent weeks. Limit their attacking thrusts. I think the Stormers will get loose and will present opportunities to Munster. It's all about taking them. And, you know, I just think they're, they're in a good place. Like I said getting those four guys back is so big. All of a sudden, it's gone from a season that looked like it was going off the rails to one that 
is a massive opportunity. Like just because it's year one of a project, there's no guarantee they'll get back to another final next year or the year after that. You have to be ruthless. Like we've seen with Leinster, they've let chances slip by for trophies in the URC the last two years, and they've ended up with nothing. Yeah. Two years in a row, they've finished empty-handed. So Munster need to be, to kind of recognise that against it is against the head that they got to the final. But the stars have aligned. Everything is looking up for them in this game. And there's no guarantee they'll get another chance in the near future, even though they have taken huge strides. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with you entirely, but the Stormers, they are the most intriguing team you can watch. They have so much talent in that back line that can skin you alive with pace and steps and evasiveness and everything else. And at the same time, they'll invariably knock on a couple of high balls they can miss tackles they're wishy-washy at times in that back line it's it's like as if um you know you're either going to get 110 miles an hour from them or a complete collapse and it's what team shows up in that back line i mean i think the forwards tend to stand up in general but it's the back line that that terrify you if you're a stormers fan but if you're not and you're a munsters fan and we're hoping for an irish victory here that's where they can go after them that's where they can exploit them bang a load of high balls put a really heavy kick chase game in there after them uh, and just put pressure on them force mistakes and, and hope they go into their shells yeah, and there's one area I think that, that that the Stormers have a huge advantage. I think you know Munster match up well, but the front row is is massive. Like you know, to have that 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 Springbok front row of Kitchoff, Malherb, and Joseph Dweeba up against kind of you know, Dermot Barnes, mm. Stephen Archer, Jeremy Lockwin. Like that that is that is for me quite a big mismatch. Now to be fair, the Munster front row held up really well in South Africa in in those two games like Stephen Archer already went full 80 bow weeks which is a testament to him but also kind of alarm bells ringing that you need Stephen Archer to go to full 80 and I yeah I, I, I agree with you like the Stormers like, it's funny you say they can have one or two of two ways of going about it because we saw that against Leinster in, in two halves they were 17 nil up yeah. and then they kind of I know the wind was ferocious that day but they were all over the place in the second half making all sorts of bizarre mistakes and, and kind of you know the, the kicking game really you know caused them a lot of grief that day so like Connor Murray could have a big say there. Jack Crowley could have a big say there. Like Jack Crowley, like how big a moment could that semi-final drop goal be? Like could that be the coming of age moment for him, where he really takes charge of this team? Because Ben Healy had probably been the better performing out half in recent weeks, but I think that moment could be really be a catalyst for him. And think about the position we'll be going into the World Cup all of a sudden. If Jack Crowley can lead Munster to a trophy after Ross Byrne failed to do it last weekend. All of a sudden, Jack Crowley is hot on the heels of Ross Byrne heading into what will be a very competitive World Cup warmer period. So there's so much to play for. And worth noting that Andy Farrell is picking his World Cup training squad, I believe, on Tuesday, mm. a 45-man squad. This is the last shop window for players really outside of the warm games to, to kind of force your way into the wider Ireland picture. So it's a fascinating game. It, it, as I said, the stars look to be aligning a little bit for Munster, but playing in South Africa it's a full house like that's a huge huge task yeah. and a Munster maybe emptied themselves after going four road games in a row which is very difficult who knows but it's said to be an absolute uh... Delighted to welcome into studio now Declan Drake. Morning, Dec. How are you? Oh, very well, Reggie. Yes, indeed. We gear up for Super Sunday in the football and more especially hurling championship with massive mouthwatering clashes to anticipate as spots in provincial finals and latter stages of the All Ireland series are up for grabs. Sean Lane will be on later to discuss all things hurling, including Dublin's clash with Galway tomorrow at Crow Park and some big games in Munster as well. Dublin ladies footballers defend their TG Car Leinster title tomorrow afternoon against All Ireland Queens Mead. Nigel McCarthy of We Are Dublin will join me to look ahead to that one in Port Leash.
We start that with our minor footballers, uh, our last men's underage team standing. The Young Blues crushed Offaly 6.15 to 1.8 in the last four of the Leinster Championship in Tullamore during the week. Paddy Curry twice netting for Dublin, as did Harry Curley, Noah Byrne and Luke O'Boyle. So great stuff there by the Young Blues, who meet Kildare in the final after their 13 points to 12 victory over Meath. Great to see the Young Blues in a Leinster final once again to senior football now and the start of Dublin's three-game All-Ireland Group Series. Desi Farrell's Chargers play a Division 1 team for the first time since last summer's semi-final reversal to Kerry when they face Roscommon tomorrow afternoon at Croke Park. Four o'clock is the throw-in time there. This will be our fourth outing of the 2023 Championship with wins already recorded over Leash, Kildare and of course most recently Louth in the Leinster final. Speaking after that victory over the Louth men, Dubs boss Desi Farrell spoke about the step up in class, his charges will face against the Rossies. Now we're going to see step into the real competition, I think, and um, and that's going to be very interesting and very exciting. So look at we're we're very conscious, obviously, with our Dublin hat on, uh, very conscious of how, how our season has gone thus far. And while today was very pleasing, um, we still have only played Division Two or Division Four teams this season uh, thus far. So there's a big step up in class coming, and it's, it's coming at us very quickly. Uh, we've just coming in two weeks now, and uh, they, they've been wholly impressive um, all season, and have some really good games under their belts against stiff competition that we have probably yet to face. Maybe bar uh, two weeks ago against Kildare. So it's. Um, they, you know, that's that's going to be a challenge for us, and we need to be ready for. Certainly, is going to be a challenge indeed against uh, Davy Burke's outfit, one of the brightest young managers in the game. Looking forward to that clash immensely at Croke Park tomorrow afternoon. Following that, of course, it's a trip to Nolan Park in Kilkenny next Saturday to face Kildare in round two of that championship. That game fixed for five o'clock there during the course of the week. Best of luck to Desi and the boys tomorrow afternoon in the Croke Park sunshine, we hope. Two ladies football now and tomorrow afternoon in the TG Car Leinster Championship. Dublin travel to Omar. Park Portleash from 4.15 to defend their title against Meath who they won it against uh, 12 months ago at Croke Park. Mick Bowen's much changed squad have already played the Royals twice this year in league and championship and won both. Their other game in the Leinster Championship was a victory over Leash a couple of weeks ago in DCU. Well, I was at that game and uh, I spoke with Dove's boss uh, Mick Bowen post-match and this was his assessment of the forthcoming challenge in the Royals. But as regards uh, what's coming down the track for us, the reality is I don't think Mead were at their best last week. We know they're going to get better. But from our perspective, as regards development for the summer ahead, uh, I think they're they're good games. You know, even these games. I know you look out and you like you see a completely one-sided affair, but you can't replicate the morning of a game, the pre-match nerves, somebody's first time to put on a Dublin jersey. You know, you know, over the last number of years. Like Leinster really wasn't competitive until Meath came back into it and that's obviously made for a better competition. So we can't wait to play them again in two weeks' time. So that's the that's the nature of this competition. You're to go after the challenge rather than shy away from it. Indeed, and the best of luck to Mick and the girls there in Port Leash tomorrow afternoon. It's a triple header of Leinster Championship action in the final stages. 4.15 is the throw-in time. On the line now, I believe, is Nigel McCarthy of We Are Dublin to look ahead to the big game with me. Good morning, Nigel. Good to talk to you again. 
Good morning, Declan. How are you? Ah, well, we're here in the Docklands and it's absolutely fantastic uh, day and we're anticipating a wonderful uh, Super Sunday of sport tomorrow in the GA. And uh, as we say, the girls in P- Portlaoise tomorrow to face Mead in the Leinster final. Uh, it's a much-changed squad, uh, of course, Nigel. Plenty of new faces in it this year. How impressed have you been generally with the way the group has gelled in such a short space of time? Yeah, I've been I was very impressed there, Declan. Um, I didn't expect them to gel so quickly. Um, they, they did a decent league campaign. Uh, they finished. They finished up third in the in the in the Division One, and um, they put in some really uh, decent performances through through the league. And uh, they've upped that again as they've gone into the Leinster Championship. And uh, look, the the opening round win against me, I think, set them on the right foot and and probably gave them another boost in confidence for for the young faces. Uh, the new young faces that are in in the team and the squad, and then they followed that up with a very impressive, comprehensive win over um, Leash uh, in round two, uh, which uh, you know set them up for the, for their Leinster final place. And uh, yeah, it's look, uh, there's been a big turnover in players, um, probably the biggest turnover um, in that squad for, for for a long time, and a, a lot of very experienced uh, players. Who are either not available this year uh, for various different reasons or, or have retired? You know, these have been uh, multiple all-star winners, and uh, you know, look to replace that type of um, talent and experience uh, was always going to be a difficult job. But uh, they they seem to be up to it at the moment. Yeah, and so many players, of course, from the great four in a row uh, era as well. Now, the challenge is Mead tomorrow, Nigel, who we've got to know fairly well over the last couple of years since they took the senior ranks uh, by storm. Two games already this season between the two. Um, two victories, thankfully, from a Dublin perspective. What can we expect from tomorrow's af- tomorrow afternoon's clash in the Midlands? I think we can expect another spicy um Matchup between these two uh, teams, uh, who who ba- basically they just they don't like each other. That's that's for definite. Uh, you can see that in in the games. Um, neither neither team wants to take a step backwards, and um, you know, particularly the last um, matchup there in round one of Leinster uh, was particularly niggly. Um, to, to be honest with you, I was at that game, and I, I thought three me players should have seen the line that day, but. Um, they, they escaped any sanction from the referees. So I'm expecting another titanic battle between the two. Um, look at it. But there hasn't been more than a bounce of ball between these two teams over the last couple of seasons, you know, and uh, I don't expect it to be any different uh, on Sunday. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one, all right. Um, just on terms of the team selection, Nigel, we've seen Orlan Olin, uh, Ballantyre St. John's player, uh, who, of course, was an all-star defender in her time, switched to the forwards with great effect throughout the league and the early stages of the championship. But according to the team, she anyway selected at wing-back uh, tomorrow. What, what do you make of that particular move and the team selected in general? Yeah, the team uh, selection didn't surprise me. I expected the four players who didn't start the last day to come back in. Um, as far as uh, positions are concerned, uh, look, you know yourself, you, you turn up to these games and the positions don't really mean much, particularly when it comes to uh, naming teams. Like, you know, they, they've also named Ailish O'Dowd at, at number 12. Uh, Ailish has played uh, in midfield all the way through the league and, and through... Uh, the, the Leinster campaign to date, so uh, you know, I, I would I would take those sort of named positions with a pinch of salt and see how they actually line up come throw in time. 
Yeah, it's a bit like the men, isn't it? It always comes with a health warning to Dublin <laughs> team when it, when it's announced. Finally, Nigel, um, the fixing of tomorrow's game in Omar Park in Portlaoise. As I said earlier on, it's a triple header of finals, but this is in direct competition with the men's double header in Croke Park. Overall, quite disappointing, I think, to, to see this because the level of support that the girls will get tomorrow will be severely diminished. Yeah, very disappointing. Um, look, it, it, it's a Leinster senior final and uh, Dublin supporters now have been uh, thrown a, you know, a sort of impossible sort of choice of, of you know, where they go. Um, you have a double header, as you say, in Crow Park with, with the Dublin hurlers and Dublin footballers. And then you, ha- you have the, the Leinster final down in, in Port Leash. And look, the, the, the men's end of it get, always gets the bigger support anyway. So you, you can take it that the majority of fans are gonna are gonna go to Crow Park, you know, which means you know Dublin will probably be the only county down there tomorrow who will have a very small, uh, you know, support base. It'll probably be mainly you know family, friends, uh, you know, club mates, and and that'll probably be it. Yeah. Are you on duty down there yourself tomorrow night? Uh, yeah, we're heading down there. Yeah, um, seeing as everyone will be heading to Crow Park over <laughs> that, I, I, yeah. you know, look, we we like to give equal coverage to, to the ladies and, and the, the men's end of the game. So we thought uh, it'd be only right, seeing as a Lancer senior yeah. final for us to head down there. Just wanted to clarify that because the next point I was going to make was that you would probably be providing uh, live updates on your Twitter account. That's the best way for people, I think, to uh, keep in touch with the game down there tomorrow afternoon. Well, Nigel, enjoy your spin to the Midlands. It's a relatively short one. In comparison to some trips we've been on over the last number of yeah. years, <laughs> we'll write the book someday about those. Yeah, but exactly. uh, the very best of luck um, to the girls down there tomorrow, and indeed to yourself and Noel making the trip as well. Nigel, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Good to talk to you again. Thanks, Declan. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Hare. That's Nigel McCarthy there of We Are Dublin. Dublin versus Mead, 4.15 tomorrow afternoon at O'Moore Park in Port Leash. Finally, on our section this week, hurling, and what a massive weekend to look forward to. With the Joe McDonough Cup final is this afternoon, Offaly versus Carlo. That has significance for us. Well, the burning questions are, can Dublin make the Leinster final, um, having had their championship season extended last week? Who will join Clare in the Munster final? All these will be answered tomorrow afternoon. Now, to try and help us answer them is our regular hurling analyst, Sean Lane. Uh, good morning, Sean. All well, I trust? Good morning, Declan. How are you? All good? Uh, listen, on a day like that, Sean, a championship weekend to look forward to. What would be wrong with you, in all fairness? I mean, yeah, true. Indeed, Lovely day. Indeed, a fantastic day. Uh, as they say. Now, uh, one thing we didn't envisage discussing this morning, Nigel, or Sean, pardon me, was the Wexford uh, Westmead game last week. A stunning win for the Lake County men, coming from 17 points down to claim the win. In all your many days involved in hurling, have you ever seen the likes of it? You'd have to say no, Declan. Any time I've seen a couple of Kilkenny teams in their time falling behind to you know, but they'd be favourites and, and they'd come back and come back very, very well. But to see outsiders like Westmead come all the way back from, as you said, seventeen points, um, you know, I, I've never seen it, never witnessed it and remember Westmead were playing in Wexford Park. But firstly, you know, it seems to have come become a Wexford thing, but let, let, let's take our hats off to Joe Fortune and his lads. They drew they, they drew with them last year in the championship and as you said they came from seventeen points down and, and uh Joe himself has proved here in Dublin, you know, a great manager managed the the, the, the minors and the under twenty one teams to Leinster Championship also managed um uh, Barry Bowden to a senior championship. So hats off to Westmead first, but 
you know, serious issues for Hurland in general and particularly Leinster Hurland and Wexford Hurland if they do get relegated, Declan? Well, we've seen a relatively big power in the past awfully go right down, uh, Sean, as well. So, you know, it it, it mightn't be in a, in the long-term scheme of things the worst thing that could happen to Wexford if 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 they do uh, go down. But uh, Dublin are playing Galway tomorrow afternoon th- uh, at Croke Park. Two o'clock start. As I said earlier on, our season has been extended thanks to that result in Wexford Park last week. But we also have a chance of getting to, to a Leinster final. So very much uh, mission accomplished so far for Michal Dunhu and the boys uh, certainly Declan yeah and, and uh, you know you asked a great question last week that had we seen an improvement in Dublin between the you know as the, the, the championship progressed and as we said if you took the first half against Antrim and the second half even the last day against Kilkenny um, you know Dublin have performed very well now Kilkenny were the better side stayed ahead but um, you, you know Galway and Dublin it takes on a life of its own I mean our recent history with them, we, we beat them in Anthony Daly's time down in Tullamore in the Championship. We beat them in the Leinster Final in 2013. David Tracy had a free, you might remember, a, 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 under Chair Cunningham in, Park, in Crow Park to win a game and, and we, we, he missed it, but we drew the game. And Matty Kenny, only a couple of years back, 2019 maybe, Declan, uh, we, we beat Galway in, in Crow Park uh, in, in a smashing Leinster Final and a smashing display. So, you know, it's a huge game for Dublin. Um, it's one where, where we can actually just say, Michal who can say, lads, lose this game, you're in the All-Ireland quarterfinal, let's have one right cut at this, throw off the shackles, have a go at them, uh, you know, close it as tight as you can at the backs um, and, and, and go at them. And I, I think it's a freebie for Michal who And I actually see the, the, the advantage now, Declan, of, of playing in Crow Park because, you know, tomorrow will be a huge learning court for Dublin. Uh, Galway, let's not forget, we're only a couple of points off Limerick last year when Limerick were a lot better than they are currently. So um, I'm looking forward to the game. I think it'll be a great game and I think Dublin will have a right go at Galway tomorrow. Is it 10 years since Johnny McCaffrey went up the steps of the Hogan stand to receive the Leinster Championship trophy with the legendary Jimmy Gray beside him? Wow, what a day. What a day that was. We'll, we'll be yeah, talking more about that in, in the months to come. But Sean, with well, the little time we've got left, some massive games in Munster tomorrow afternoon. This is Championship hurling now at its very, very best tomorrow afternoon. For example... Limerick versus Cork in the Gaelic grounds. Both of them battling for their championship lives. Who is likely to come out of that one? Well, firstly, you'd have to acknowledge it's probably one of the greatest Munster championships we've had in, in recent history. Uh, it, it's a very hard game to call, Declan. Limerick having home advantage. All the things you'd say about Limerick at the moment would be, you know, they, they, they look tired. They seem to have lost their appetite. Have they gone to the well too often? They're the kind of cliches, you know, Gerard Hegarty, Keane Lynch, to a lesser extent, Aaron Galan, not playing, you know, at 100%. Uh, Sean Finn, huge loss for Limerick as well. Uh, on the other side, and I was just looking at it last night, Declan, there's a couple of things that, that are, are popping up. I mean, Patrick Hogan is playing better than he ever did, so that that's a huge plus, I think, um, Kieran Joyce at centre back, but I thought Darius Fitzgibbon from Charleville is playing out of his skin also for Cork. But Cork have got four goals and 19 points against Tip, and they also got three goals and 18 points. Now that's seven goals, Declan, in two championship games. And, you know, when Cork are doing that, they're dangerous. And not so long ago, we were saying about Cork when they were playing the short passing game that they weren't getting goals, they were getting 26 and 27 and 28 points. They're still playing lesser of the, the the short game, but they're getting more goals. So most people will probably just say there's another 
there's another game in Limerick, but I'm actually going to tip Cork in this one. I, I think Cork will just get across the line against Limerick. And no, no matter who loses, uh, no one would have predicted, Declan, that Cork or Limerick would be gone out of the Munster Championship uh, six or seven weeks mm. ago. Indeed. I'm just writing this down. C-O-R-K. Very good. No, that's that's stored. That's stored. <laughs> I, I hope it turns out a little bit better than my Waterford this time oh, last year, Declan. I wasn't going to mention that, oh, Sean. <laughs> well, now that you've teed it up for me, actually. Yeah. Now, come here. Uh, in a minute or so, Waterford versus Tipperary. Everyone is tipping Tipperary. May I remind people that Westmead shocked Wexford last week? Can we have a similar kind of an outcome tomorrow? Well, I suppose, you know, and we all know Davey very, very well. He wears his, his heart on his sleeve. There is no doubt he's going to play the, you know, we have to have pride. We are a good team. They have marvellous players at their disposal in, in Waterford. Um, you know, uh, so, so they're going to throw the kitchen sink at Tipperary. There's no doubts whatsoever about that. Having said that, Tip, you know, they've had far better results. They're improving all the time. Jason Ford's a big loss to them, but I just think that Tipperary will get across the line there. Remember, they've, you know, if they win during the Munster final, uh, a chance of beating Clare and that going straight into an All Ireland semi final. It's an easier route than maybe going back and playing either Galway, Kilkenny, or Dublin in a, in a, in a, you know in a, in a quarter final. So I think um, Tipperary will be really up for a game. They probably have three quarters of the job done now. They're, they're not going to falter at the Waterford hurdle. I couldn't think, but you know I'd expect to be very little in this after 50, 55 minutes. But I do expect Tipperary to win at Declan. Now it's time to turn our attention to football. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Cawley. Good morning, Al. How are you? Morning, Reg. I'm good, thanks. Yes, uh, you would be good on a gorgeous day like that. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we'll get into the SSE Electricity League, first of all. Um, I don't know what's happened. I went away last week and uh, Rovers lose and they lose again last night. Before we get into the match itself, we have to address uh, some disturbing news that's come out it has to be said uh, after that game it's Stephen Bradley has um, f- filing a report with police after uh, Cork City fans were, were chanting disgusting songs about his son who is for those who don't know battling leukemia I mean what's going on in the heads of people that are doing that kind of thing yeah that's the question Reggie and unfortunately none of us know what is going on inside the head of uh, idiots like this that behave so inappropriately and as I say, Stephen Bradley's young kid who's been sick and uh, fighting a battle himself. But to go to a football match and, and turn it into chance about the young lad is absolutely despicable behaviour from... And like everything with these things, Reggie, it's always a few to drag. Cork City fans are good fans, as we all know. There was plenty at that match who would have enjoyed the game last night in the right spirit as well and enjoyed the result of the victory. But unfortunately for them, I'm not sure how many, but I, I could imagine it was only a handful of idiots uh, decide to sing songs about a young kid who's sick and uh, despicable behaviour but Cork City to be fair <clears throat> the football club were out straight away with a statement condemning this behaviour and saying they will do everything in their power to, to obviously identify these clowns and ban them for life Reggie mm, Absolutely well in the, in the world of CCTV it should be very easy to identify them and everything from, else from, and Yeah hopefully. from what I'm hearing Reggie as well and it probably should be pointed out it was outside the ground yeah. these idiots were and, and roaring and shouting in whatever so yeah. um they might have a history of doing this kind of thing before, hence why they were outside the ground, I don't know. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, Cork City, of course, not responsible. They've issued their statement, and uh, the police will investigate it. So, uh, hopefully, they'll be identified and it'll be taken care of. In terms of on the pitch, uh, 
Rovers finished with eight men in the end. It was a, it was a bizarre sort of a game, and losing that one, and now slipping down to second place. So things going uh, just going wrong at the moment is the way to describe it. Yeah, well, coming off the back of last week's result, where everybody was such a surprise because I think they had won eight of the previous nine going into the game last week, and then to lose to Drada, who themselves are uh, are doing quite well, Drada, considering the resources. But everybody would expect the Shamrock Rovers to win last week, and then obviously to suffer that defeat, you would expect them to bounce back in the right way last night. Fair enough, going to Cork, difficult place as we know, and Cork had a w- victory themselves last week, so they would have had a bit of confidence going into it. But the the, the game and what happened, um, I don't think anybody would have predicted to have three men sent off. I think the, the yellow cards were in double figures as well from what I'm reading. And um, I haven't seen any of the incidents, so I can't comment on I just saw that Richie Cowell won uh, a video of it, which looks fairly soft. But Stephen Bradley had really strong words to say about the standard of referee and and he's not the only manager that has said this, but he was really, really forceful and strong uh, and made some serious claims about how bad the referee was last night. Yeah, like I mean, it, it very, very strong statements. He said it's embarrassing. The officials are the worst he'd ever seen. They really are since the start of the season. I've tried to stay quiet on that issue, but it really would worry me tonight on those four officials. And he said uh, that in two games he's had us, and he sent off five players. Um, so doesn't sound right, really, Reggie. Does it to be doesn't. fair? Five players and. Um, and look, this has been talked about at length. I've said it myself, the standard is poor, but I just think we're at the stage now where the, the relationship is so bad with the referees and the players and the staff that something needs to be done in terms of how bad the breakdown is because managers and players coming out attacking the referees as they have done for so long now, we've hit we've hit the point where a line needs to be drawn in the sand where something needs to be done in terms of, I just find the referees at the moment, rather than actually taking the criticism and I know it's hard to take criticism, but but when you when there's that amount coming at you, maybe take a look at themselves and how they they're approaching the games or their approach to the players. Because a few people have said even there's an arrogance about them that maybe if that's the case and and try and take some points that the players and manager have said constructively and try and build a relationship with people and and just get away from this because every week we're talking about referees and how bad the standard is. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. Well, in terms of the games then as well, um, we saw that uh, Bowes and Shelburne played out a nil-all draw, but Bowes will have to look at that at home as a slip-up. You know, two more points there and they'd only be a point behind uh, the, the leaders. Yeah, definitely. I was at the match, Reggie. Um, great crowd again, great atmosphere, but the game wasn't the best, to be honest. The Bowes were pushing on. Uh, they were the ones that were pushing, to be fair to them, and trying to get that goal, but it lacked real quality and I just find with Bowes at the moment, Afalabi was up front, but he, he gets isolated and they don't get enough players up to support him. And it was something similar when he went off. Akintunde, who did well when he came on, but a similar story that uh, he's up there isolated on his own. Even when they were pushing on and they had so much possession in the second half, they just don't get enough bodies into the box. Shelburne are tough nut to crack as well. They're obviously well-organised and well-disciplined. Uh, didn't offer much going forward, it must be said, Shells, but defensively they were strong. But the game overall wasn't great. A young lad in midfield, young McManus, played very well. But apart from that, it wasn't a great game, Reggie. Mm. Well, uh, at the other end, then we're seeing Sligo, who are struggling a little bit. They're hosting Derry City today. Derry expected to get the result there. And all of a sudden, the table looks very different if they get that victory. They're, they're uh, four points clear of Rovers on the same amount of games. And uh, it's funny in two weeks how things have just flipped around for Rovers. Yeah, my, my own thoughts as well, Reggie. In basically two weeks, it's all turned around. And obviously, we're looking at Shamrock Rovers two weeks ago, beating all before them, thinking they might run away with the title race. Yeah. And here we are now, Derry are in with a chance to go four points clear tonight. But it's so important 
that they capitalise on that slip up because there won't be many from Shamrock Rovers so they have to uh, try and get the three points tonight they're in good form themselves Derry. they're getting players back fit strong players as well um, like Dummigan and Duffy's back full fitness scoring goals as well so this is a real opportunity for Derry to try and open up a small little gap of four points but four points can be big Reggie mm. Absolutely, it sure can. Uh, we would have taken it with Arsenal as we look across the water. <laughs> we need a lot more than four, but it can be big. Um, you know, the title race is done. City got the job done. There'll be an asterisk beside their name um, in terms of charges that might be pending against them and titles possibly even stripped. But as it stands now, uh, they're, the, they're the winners and deservedly so, I suppose it has to be said. Yeah, football-wise, absolutely. There's no no debate or no argument there. Uh, I think the football they played has been incredible and, and Arsenal deserve credit too because they pushed them for so long and I know we were critical of them the, the couple of games they slipped up in but the standard now Reggie is just so much with, with this City team that you can't slip up in one or two games Like that's the scary thing about it years ago the points tally that Arsenal would have had would have won them the league many times but when City hitting almost 100 points year on year um, the standards are just incredible and, and football wise absolutely they're phenomenal Guardiola's done an unbelievable job but then you have to factor in, obviously, as you said, the charges that are against them, the dominance in terms of the, the almost kind of bottomless pit that they have uh, spending-wise and the spending power. And that might be a concern for the powers that be because you don't want um, a team like this, obviously, I think this is their fifth Premier League in six years. You don't want them running away with things now for the next 10, 20 years. Um, and hopefully that's not the case, but I suppose those charges need to be addressed quickly. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, it's not always about money, 690 million for Chelsea spent and they mm. did nothing with it. But, That's um, true, Reggie. And I was only looking at a thing yesterday, Man United as well, about the, the last top, uh, the top 10 kind of highest uh, transfers. And, and Man United had five players on it worth 400 million, the likes of Maguire, Lukaku, Sancho, and none of them have kicked the ball. So you're 100% right in that argument as well. You have to spend it wisely. And not alone that, they have an unbelievable manager. Like It's all right saying they have the best players and stuff and they do. But what he demands out of them and what he gets out of them and the standard of football that they play is phenomenal. And that's the argument you could throw at other teams is that if they had Guardiola, you know, he could be, he could just be the difference purely himself, not just money. Mm, mm, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot in it, a lot in that statement. OK, at the other end of the table, uh, are you back in Everton to stay up? They're in the driving seat. I am, Reggie, yeah, because I've, I've backed them since I should come in because I just felt with his experience uh, I just thought they would get out of it now. They're leaving it late, obviously coming down to the last day, but they are in the driving seat and you'd expect them to get the job done. There will be twists and turns throughout the day, as there always is. Um, Leicester have given themselves a chance and I think Dean Smith took a lot of stick during the week for the approach against Newcastle, but I felt it was the right approach because they, if they lost against Newcastle and the chances were they would have gone out and taken them on toe-to-toe, they would have been out of out of the race tomorrow so at least they've given themselves a chance but I just think Everton will get the job done and that'll relegate Leeds and Leicester Yeah they've a good few injuries though Everton, Coleman Vinagre Townsend, Davies they're mounting up Yeah and on top of that the pressure that this brings you could only imagine Reggie like the, mm. the difference of being in the Premier League compares to the Championship even from a player's point of view revenue, wages like it'll take a massive drop I know it's big money anyway but they'll take a big drop players won't want that Um Obviously, the club won't want that. Never being relegated to be a huge stain on Everton Football Club as well. So, I think they will get the job done, though, just purely because of Dyche. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I was just talking to Ken earlier on about it. In the end, he was happy enough. Top three, um, you know, top four, vital for them. Um, not a bad end, you know. Take it at the beginning of the year, I suppose. Exactly, that's the line, Reggie. You would have taken it at the beginning of the year to win a cup, 
to be in the final of the FA Cup and the top four. If somebody had to say that to you at the start of the year, you would have snapped your hands off. Now, obviously, there's been ups and downs throughout the season, but I think overall, Ten Hag has done a good job, but still plenty to do. It's, like, it's almost like a school report, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> Did well, but, but lots more to do. I had a fair few of those in my day, I can tell you. <laughs> No doubt you did yourself. All right, Alan. Many, Reggie, yeah, many. I'd be doing even well to get those reports. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.